Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 46. Jesus has been asked questions of entrapment by various religious and political groups, most recently the Sadducees, with a theological question about the resurrection. The questions leading up to the one recorded in this section were intended to trap Jesus rather than to find answers. Here, however, an expert in religious law asks Jesus to condense the law to a single principle. The Gospel according to Matthew 22, verses 34 to 46. Receive the Word of God. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If that David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to you, O Lord. Let us pray. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, we come asking for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's, it's kind of an odd question. And yet not so much when we understand the context of this legal expert wanting to know which was the most important of all the commandments. Because it was kind of a popular debate at the time. The legal expert was referring to a popular debate about more important and less important of the hundreds of laws that the Jews had accumulated. The Pharisees had classified over six hundred laws and would spend much time discussing about which laws were weightier than others. Jesus' definitive answer about the resurrection uh, caused this man, this expert of the law, to hope that Jesus might also have the final answer about this debate. It's very important that we know where this comes from because it's going to have bearing on the question that Jesus then asks the Pharisees. It's got very much a bearing on how we view life even today in 2023. Jesus refers to Deuteronomy 6.5 to show that a person's total being must be involved in loving God. 
This was part of a common Jewish prayer, still very much part of a common Jewish prayer called the Shema. And it begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You may want to hold on to that because it's very important later. Hear, O God, Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Excuse me, with all, yeah, with all your mind. And maybe uh, you've heard in other versions, maybe Mark's or, or Luke's, that uh, with all your mind as well. So we recognize uh, one of the other Gospels have added that. But we're going to talk about first the heart being the center of desires and affections. The love of the Lord your God with all your desires and affections. To go after it, we say. Go after it with all your heart. Love him with all your desires, all your affections, and that's the first and the foremost. Before any other desires or affections you have on this earth. We often talk about the soul as a person's being and uniqueness. Put your heart and soul into it, we say sometimes, right? Put all your desire, put all your uniqueness into it. And to put that soul into the Lord, to love the Lord with all our soul. And to love the Lord with all our might, might be our, our bodies, our body types. No matter what um, condition your body is in, no matter um, how, uh, how much function you have in your body, even if you're bedridden, you still have might and strength. You can still pray and do something. And to even love the Lord with all your might, no matter where that is. Of course, we love uh, the Lord with our minds, the center of a person's intellect, to submit all of our intellectual thoughts before the Lord. So to love God in this way is to fulfill completely all the commandments regarding one's vertical relationship with the Lord. But there's a second and equally important law that focuses on, on the horizontal relationship. Dealings with fellow human beings, both ourselves and fellow siblings of this human race. Jesus quotes again another passage from the first five books, the Torah, because it's very important that the Sadducees only used the first five books of the of what we've come to know as the Bible, but what the Jews called the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, Pentateuch being five, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's how they viewed uh, who God is and, uh, and, and, and how we're to, to serve him. So the Sadducees, they couldn't find anything about the resurrection in those first five books. And that's how some of this started. And Jesus helps them see that God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That these, that God is not God of the dead, as if these three are, are past and are no more, but God is a God of the living. He speaks of God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as if they're still alive today, that God is a God of the living, that God is a God of life, and that there is indeed a resurrection, even from the beginning in those first five books. And so that's how he begins to uh, address the Sadducees a little bit earlier, and now he brings up these five books again. He brings up scriptures from there. Jesus quotes again from these five books. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And just read about, Hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
He sums up uh, 19 by saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the full verse is, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What an apt word from the Lord this morning as we're watching events unfold in Ukraine and the Gaza Strip. So we have this idea of being in a vertical relationship with the Lord and a horizontal relationship with one another. And it kind of looks like the shape of a cross, doesn't it? That's summed up in all those 600 laws and religion came down to living life according to these two principles. But then again, we need to kind of nail down that word love in this passage. Because in American English, we only have one word for love, and it means many different things. I love my vehicle. Let's hope it's not the same way I love my wife. One word, and yet we have to somehow listen to the whole context and derive its meaning about what it means for the person speaking it. The ancient Greek language, however, had at least three different words for love. <coughs> Eros, where we get the word erotic from, is a passionate, maybe sometimes lustful love that a husband and wife can express. Philadelphos, Philadelphos sounds like a city pretty close to us. Anyone want to give a venture? Philadelphia, right? Yes. Sydney of brotherly love, right? That's what Philadelphos means, is brotherly love. And it's actually uh, also one of the cities um, way back in the book of Revelation. It's one of the churches mentioned in Revelation. So I guess Pennsylvania stole it from way back then. Uh, the city of brotherly love. So, uh, my, you know, it's kind of a, f a family kind of love. A parent with Philadelphos, their children, their siblings, their parents, um, that I... Uh, and we might even Philadelphos each other because we're the family of God, that we love each other as siblings of the family of God. But the word uh, that is used here is agape. It's a godly love, an unselfish, sacrificial kind of love. Maybe you know that famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, often called the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. Uh, it uses the same word, the same agape for love that we have in our passages this morning. And it, it gives us some more clarity on, on what's being required of us in these summations of the, the, the law. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. If it were not for the Holy Spirit in our lives, we humans could never express this kind of love on earth. But through faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. 
more and more every day. And as I get to know you more and more, I get to hear about how you're expressing that love in your lives and in this world out there. So we come to the end of this sort of answer to this legal expert's question. And we're saying, wow, it's so full of wisdom. It's theologically sound. Nice job, Jesus. And now Jesus turns the tables and asks the Pharisees and ultimately asks us a question. Whose son is the Christ? Or as the Hebrews would know it, the Messiah. That both the Greek Christ and the Hebrew Messiah meant the same thing, anointed one. they quickly say it's the son of David because that's what is in the scriptures in the Old Testament. The Pharisees expected a Messiah but they erroneously thought he would be only a human ruler who would reign on King David's throne. Deliver the Jews from Gentile domination by establishing God's rule on earth and restore Israel's greatness as in the days of David and Solomon. They knew the Messiah would be a son or a descendant of David, but they did not understand that he would be more than a human descendant. He would be God in the flesh. Jesus quotes Psalm 110.1 to show that David, speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit, understood the Messiah to be his Lord, that is, one who had authority over him, not just his descendant. This Psalm 110 gets used throughout all the Bible. We read about it in Hebrews. It gets called upon in different parts of the Gospels. That if the great King David himself called the coming Messiah his Lord, then how could the Messiah be merely David's son, be merely just his descendant? David himself didn't think the Messiah would be just a descendant, but instead David, by divine revelation, that is, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had realized that the Messiah would be God in human form and would deserve due respect and honor. I want you to think for a moment about the position that these Pharisees were in. And think about what is being spoken to them? Who is speaking to them? And when the implications that this has on their life, because indeed this actually has implications on every single human being's life. From the moment we're born to the moment we die, we have to answer that question, whose son is the Christ? And even if we choose not to answer, that's an answer. Is he just some nice guy who takes his place in history with all the prophets and the kings who taught us love and came in peace? Or is he the son of David and the son of God? Just think back for a moment. There was before the Israelites, before God had called Abraham out of uh, 
Iraq, today's Iraq, and eventually brought them into this promised land that we see in the news today. There were many, uh, many, um, I want to say pluralistic or, or many gods. That this whole idea of monotheism, one God, and that God would reveal himself as that, was mind-blowing. Because there was a God for the sun, a God for the wind, a God for all kinds of weather, all kinds of calamities. And God finally reveals himself to Abraham and says, I am who I am. Or literal translation, I be who I be. I is who I is. He's God of the living, he's continuous, and he's one. So Jesus is saying, eh, but there's a son now. Wait, what? I thought there's one God. There is one God. We've come to understand only because we're now on this side of the cross and the empty tomb and Jesus' ascension to the right hand of God the Father can we begin to understand that it is still one God that's manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even when we can't really put it all together, we take it by faith that what, how the Lord reveals himself in the Old Testament is one God is still the same God of the New Testament, but we have this Son who is now before us. Well, it probably gets even harder if that isn't hard enough for the Pharisees. Is the duality of Christ. Many of us have grown up in the church have come to accept that, yeah, he's 100% human and 100% God. I know it's not mathematically sound, but that's just the way it is. He's 100% human and he's 100% God. He's not 50-50, he's not some sort of mix. He's both at the same time. And he can be because of Jesus. And we sort of take that on faith. But for these Pharisees, to have God in the flesh, that was an apostasy, really. And it's only through the lens of the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ can we say, oh my goodness, yes. That was God in the flesh. As we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas time again, the baby born to us. We can accept that now. But for the Pharisees, this was smacking them right in the face. And yet it still smacks us right in the face because it comes down to a question. Is Jesus just our Savior? Or is Jesus also our Lord? You see, because if you have the earthly Messiah, you have a Savior. Somebody who's going to save you from the woes of your life, the woes of your circumstances, the one who's going to rescue you from imperial rule. But if he's 100% God, that means we have to submit ourselves to him. We have to submit our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength to Him. That no longer can I just go and chase after my own whims and desires, but to check in with the Lord and even see if this is a godly desire or whim to be chasing after. Or that these thoughts that I have, I need to check them against the Bible and make sure that they're not like too far out there, too far gone. 
in this body that would like to just eat at a buffet every meal of my life. I have to submit to the Lord and say, this is your body, this is your temple. I guess I better go exercise. <clears throat> submit our souls to the Lord, that uniqueness that makes you, you, and me, me. To not just say it's all about me and my individuality, but there is one who is in charge of it that is submitted to it. To call him Savior and Lord. To be faced with the Son of David and the Son of God. It's a question that each one of us has to face. Because there's a lot of people that have written a lot of stuff that want him just to be a teacher. I mean, as a matter of fact, what, what did the, uh, the expert of law call him? Teacher. Didn't call him Messiah. Didn't call him Lord. Teacher. Rescue me from the woes of these 600 rules. For those of us who understand him as Lord, we understand that religion is not about rules. It's about relationship. That we don't come here to somehow, uh, because, well, if I do this, God will be pleased, and then maybe God will give me good things, and, uh, you know, and then if I just keep adding all these coins, then maybe the vending machine, the cosmic vending machine will, will give me what I need. Maybe if I just keep praying, then I'll just get what I need from him. It's about a relationship. It's not about an appeasement of an angry God, or about trying to manipulate a cosmic vending machine. It's about a God who came down and said, I love you and I believe in you so much that I'm going to die for you. And then you'll see what real power is because I'll rise again from the dead. And this death that's over our bodies will be no more. The God of living will continue to show you how life continues on. So as we get ready to leave here and go out there and minister to a world that is full of sin and so loved by God, let us not be just impressed by the wisdom of what Jesus says but to submit to the one who just said it. For I'm still learning to live like I've heard nothing else but one thing. Love your Savior and your neighbor like yourself. To God be the glory. Amen. We praise you, our Father, for making your divine truth real to us in Jesus. We ask that what we do, how we live, and the way we love may increasingly become a worthy response.